Emergency! Emergency pod! The plane needs to make an emergency landing. The Flyover Country podcast. Masks are falling from the ceiling. Put your own mask on before you secure the one on your befuddled president sitting next to you. We're talking Joe Biden. We're talking the U.S. Senate. We're talking the Supreme Court. Emergency pod! Flyover starts now! Attention passengers, we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff. And welcome to the Flyover Country Podcast with Scott Jennings. I'm Joe Arnold along with Kevin Grout, Kaylee Price, and Scott Jennings. It's an emergency! The president, for a long time today, I don't know the actual readout of how long he spoke. It was like an hour 40-something? It was, but it just, I can only imagine, Scott, as a White House veteran, Mm. You're, at this point, you're basically, it's like watching your child on stage at the play. <laughs> and, and you have no control. You can't go out there and save them. They're just Except out there. Except for your child is not the president well, no, of the United saying, States. But seriously, you're in the West Wing. Imagine, okay, you're, you're your friend Jen Psaki. What, do you, what are you doing? When you're watching this at this point, are well, you taking notes? Are you saying, "I got to clean this up"? What, what's going on? Well, yes, I think number one, they were they, every everything that needed to be cleaned up. They were they were sort of predicting what they would have to do, and obviously we can talk about it. But they did end up cleaning up significantly on Russia, which is clear and present danger for the Ukrainians. I think Blinken, the Secretary of State's going there like tomorrow, whatever this week. So th- there was a ton of diplomatic cleanup to be done, but also. They had a competing issue, not just what he said, but you know, sometimes they're trying to prove his longe- his uh, his uh, stamina. Uh, stamina. And I think they wanted to leave him standing out there to show he's up to it. But at the same time, the longer that thing went on, the less confidence you must have had in listening to him rambling. And so, and so, I'm not sure they achieved the objective of engendering confidence in this man's leadership. We're going to hear a host of uh, Joe Biden's sound bites here to kind of demonstrate what happened uh, on Wednesday afternoon. We are recording this podcast, Kevin Grout, while the U.S. Senate is, uh, I guess, in debate. Are they in conversation about the different, there are the filibuster rule changes, right? Correct. Yes, we are the watchers of C-SPAN right now. It's just us. In the meantime, we'll, be, we'll begin. Yes, we'll begin with Joe Biden. Actually, it's just, the, it's just you. It's just it's you. Just <laughs> what, the suspense is killing us, Kevin. It is, uh, it is, and really, be, taking on from the very beginning of the news conference, you know, his record so far, one year into the Biden presidency. So we'll get into some specific issues, but I wanted to zoom out on your first year in office. Inflation is up. Uh, your signature domestic legislation is stalled in Congress. In a few hours from now, the Senate, uh, an effort in the Senate to deal with voting rights and voting, uh, voting reform legislation is going to fail. COVID-19 is still taking the lives of 1,500 Americans every day. And the nation's divisions are just as raw as they were a year ago. Did you overpromise to the American public what you could achieve in your first year in office? And how do you plan to course correct going forward? Why are you such an optimist? Look, I didn't overpromise. And what I have probably uh, outperformed what anybody thought would happen. The fact of the matter is that uh, we're in a situation where uh, we have made enormous progress. You mentioned the number of deaths from COVID. Well, it was uh, three times that not long ago. It's coming down. Everything's changing. It's getting better. Look, um, I didn't overpromise, but... I think if you take a look at what we've been able to do, uh, you'd have to acknowledge we made enormous progress. 
Well, one of the things that I think is something that uh, one thing I haven't been able to do so far is get my Republican friends to get in the game of making things better in this country. I will shut down the virus, period. That was the major promise of Joe Biden's campaign. I didn't overpromise. He has more deaths from coronavirus on his watch than did Donald Trump. He came into office with a full set of fully approved vaccines and a year's worth of knowledge about this virus and the full backing of the American media establishment and all that comes with it. And the reality today is he is worse at managing and messaging on coronavirus than Donald Trump ever was, and he was pretty bad. I will shut down the virus, and he is saying, I didn't overpromise, and we've, we're doing a great job. I don't know if this man is being willfully misleading or if he is in that kind of a bubble. Either way, God help us. He is used to a Senate committee type of atmosphere here. It's clear that I mean, he's not a chief executive. So this is somebody who's basically ruling by committee and by advisors. And he has been twisting in the wind from the very beginning. But he said something about that tonight about he's used to being in the Senate and he has to shift. And he's he's been such a master negotiator and all these things. Except for he's failing at every single thing. And so there is ne- no negotiating happening. So, Well, amongst his uh, own staff. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. But, I, but his I don't main, know. They're putting out different statements that correct what he says. It, it is interesting. Though. His principal negotiating tactic is to insult you, berate you. That's not negotiating. Call you a racist if you just won't do what he wants you to do. And That's if, his principal tactic. He does it to the Republicans, then he does it to his he, own people. He has never said anything bad about a senator. If he has a disagreement with you, he'll tell you privately. I can't yeah. think of any senator he publicly has a disagreement with right now. We'll hear from him in a moment on that. The last part of that soundbite just now, though, the very the, the, he's over, basically, he actually has great progress if you're paying attention. He did not overpromise. The only problem has been he underestimated, basically, the Republicans wouldn't go along with everything he says. <laughs> right? Well, first of all, that, that's actually a falsehood in that his principal achievement this first year was an infrastructure bill, the success of which he owes to Mitch McConnell, Rob Portman, Mitt Romney, Kirsten Cinema, Joe Manchin, a bipartisan group that included many Republicans. So they have not blocked him at every turn. They have blocked him at the wrong turns, but when he actually put forward an idea that had merit, they worked with him. Let's talk about unity in the U.S. In fact, in your inaugural address, you said your whole soul was in bringing America together, uniting our people. People heard the speech that you gave on voting rights in Georgia recently, in which you described those who are opposed to you to George Wallace and Jefferson Davis, and some people took exception to that. What do you say to those who were offended by your speech, and is this country more unified than it was when you first took office? Number one, anybody who listened to the speech, I did not say that they were going to be a George Wallace or a Bull Connor. I said we're going to have a decision in history that is going to be marked just like it was then. You either voted on the side that didn't make you George Wallace or didn't make you Bull Connor. But if you did not vote for the Voting Rights Act back then, you were voting with those who agreed with Connor. Those who agreed with, with, and, and so, and I, I think Mitch did a real good job of making it sound like I was attacking them. 
you notice, I haven't attacked anybody publicly, any senator, any, 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 any congressman publicly. And my disagreements with them have been made to them, communicate to them privately or in person with them. This is like the argument that your toddler makes when they're trying to avoid timeout. I didn't call them a jerk. I just said they were acting like a jerk. He didn't <laughs> call them a racist. He just said, well, they probably hang out with a lot of racists on the weekend. What a terrible, terrible thing to there, come from a leader of the free world. There is, there is no politician or political journalist in America who agrees with what he just said. He could not have said it more blatantly. Vote for my stuff. Or you are lined up next to the greatest racists in American history. Period. That was the. This, 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 here's what happened. The Twitter mob that runs his comms office wrote a speech, high five, thought it was great, loaded the teleprompter. He didn't put a ton of thought into it. And everybody around him thought this was great, right up until the moment that it hit planet Earth. And then it became a disaster. Now, he doesn't want to admit it, but this was the biggest president, most offensive presidential speech, disaster of a speech in recent memory. A bigger disaster than anything I can remember Trump doing, and he had a few. And he knows it. Maybe Charlottesville. And he, Yeah. I mean, think about the damage Along he did. Along those lines. Think about the damage he did to himself with his own people. I mean, he called Manchin and Cinema racist. That's what he did. And now he's got to go out and beg them for votes on breaking up other parts of his agenda. Just total malpractice. I think this goes back to to he's made enormous progress, and I didn't overpromise. I made such great progress. Yes, progress on dividing the country even further and saying, "Hey, all of you people on the far left or far right, who if someone doesn't agree with you, they're the most evil person ever." You're right. I'm going to do it, too. I'm the president of the free world. Yep. Okay. We're in. That's the enormous progress he's made, is dividing us even further. So it's not moment, been good progress. I mentioned Charlottesville. I do think, and I said on the last podcast, there's a lot of similarities between the Biden presidency and the Trump presidency, and not good ones. And in particular, is this gaslighting that is yeah. going on. Both of them basically bald-faced lies, just saying things that are completely on the surface and underneath the surface, just completely untrue. Yet saying it enough that you, you believe people, because the people who are sycophants will go along with you. Yeah. And that's where we are right now with Joe Biden. And that's where we thought we got rid of with Donald Trump. He was supposed to be the salve or the solution to this. And all he's doing is perpetuating it. The Trump, though, as, or the, uh, the press, as you pointed out, is not necessarily in lockstep this time. You know, you talk, you campaigned and, and you ran on a return to civility. And I know that that you dispute the characterization that you called folks who would oppose those voting bills um, as being Bonner or George Wallace. But you said that they would be sort of in the, the same camp. No, uh, I didn't say that. Look what I said. Go back and read what I said and tell me if you think I called anyone who voted on the side of the position taken by Bull Connor, that they were Bull Connor. <laughs> what? And that I is mean... an interesting reading in English. You, you, I assume you got into, into journalism because you like to write. So, so now did he's you demeaning? expect that that would work with Senators Manchin or, or Cinema? Um, no, here's argument? the thing. There's certain things that are so consequential. You have to speak from your heart as well as your head. I was speaking out forcefully on what I think to be at stake. 
That's what it is. And by the way, no one, no one forgets who was on the side of King. Which is it? Or first on, or Bull Connor. I- no one, not, not, the history books will note it. When I was making the case, don't think this is a freebie. You don't get to vote this way, and then somehow it goes away. This will be stick with you the rest of your career and long after you're gone. So he says, I wasn't saying that they are, and then finishes the soundbite by saying they are. Right. Here's all you need to know. The fact that they had to send Jen out the day after the speech to mop it up, if he really believed that this was not a problem. If he really believed it was perfectly clear, if he really believed this was a good idea, they would not have sent the White House press secretary out to mop it up. They would not have. You would not have had Dick Durbin on TV the next day saying, well, maybe the president went a little too far in his rhetoric. I mean, it, the gaslighting. You said it. It's exactly right. Gaslight, gaslight, gaslight. And it's just, I can't, I mean, I cannot tell. Does he actually believe the words coming out of his mouth? I don't know. Where we are right now, though, is back to the, the Trump thing, is because Trump set the bar so low on this, the folks on your network on CNN, Scott, are saying left and right, saying Republicans have no place to say anything about anything Biden says because we had to deal with Donald Trump for four years. Basically, we have a four-year get-out-of-jail-free card, a four-year gaslighting card, because we had to deal with... No, seriously, that's where, that's where we are right now. And unfortunately, it's, at some point, somebody maybe in the center or something has to, maybe from flyover country, has to step forward and say, crap. Well, you know, a couple of senators tonight, I saw Mitt Romney and Ben Sass. I know we're going to get to it on the elections issue. Yeah. Called out Biden for essentially doing exactly what Trump has done on elections, which is pre-spinning the idea of why I lost as it was cheated. You know, it was illegitimate. I, I know we're going to get to it, but it, but, but, I mean, even even uh, John King, you mentioned seeing it, even John King tonight, quote, it is striking. This was right after it was over. It is striking to hear a president, not named Donald Trump, raise questions about the legitimacy and sanctity of our democracy. So I do think this press conference will be remembered for two things, the Russia stuff and this idea that a Democratic president, after all the howling about Trump on elections, now a Democratic president is doing the exact same thing. But remember, Trump wasn't the first person to do this. Democrats did this before. The groundwork has been laid for a long time to keep doing this. And it's just, we talked, I think, on this podcast once about we really hope that next election is the time that we all come together and say, hey, we're going to get back to our democracy works and it's secure and we're good. And then Biden goes and throws this out there. I know you're going to play it. We, we've had, and you're right, for 20-some years, it's been members of Congress, people you probably really haven't heard of, but this is the President of the United States a year before the election takes place saying, I don't know, we'll see. That, that's, what, that's what Democrats always say, because you know, I've been making this point in a lot of my appearances since you know November of last year that uh, Donald Trump's hardly the first politician to question the legitimacy of an election. Democrats did it to George W. Bush. Republicans did it to Obama. Uh, then you had, you know, Democrats doing it to Trump. Now Republicans doing it to Biden. So this has been a 20-year escalate. And they always say, oh, but but Al Gore himself conceded. But, you know, uh, John McCain himself, like they always go to the point that the top of the rung wasn't going along with with the bottom run, and in this particular, and, and they say this is where Trump escalated it. Now Biden's done it. 
President. President, speaking of voting rights legislation, if this isn't passed, do you still believe the upcoming election will be fairly conducted and its results will be legitimate? Well, it all depends on uh, whether or not. Let me pause it right there. It depends. If, if you're answering, the first thing you say is it all depends. It all depends. Hard stop. Yes. Yes. We're able to make the case to the American people that some of this is being set up to try to alter the outcome of the election. And it's one thing, look, maybe I'm just being uh, too much of an optimist. Remember how we thought not that many people were going to show up to vote in the middle of a pandemic? We had the highest voter turnout in the history of the United States of America. Well, um, I think if, in fact, no matter how hard they make it for minorities to vote, I think you're going to see them willing to stand in line and and defy the attempt to keep them from being able to vote. I think you're going to see the people who try to keep from being able to show up, showing up and making the sacrifice that needs to be made in order to change the law back to what it should be. Um, and uh, But it's going to be difficult. I, I, I make no bones about that. It's going to be difficult. But we're not there yet. We've not run out of options yet. It depends, like we said, is the worst answer. And the, the follow-up to that is, well, does it depend if Democrats win? That's a, it basically is get-out-of-the-vote effort. And if the Democrats fail on their get-out-of-the-vote effort on Election Day in the midterm, that means it wasn't fair. It's, Donald it was Trump rigged. tried a very similar strategy when he went to northern Georgia before the runoff and said, well, it's all rigged, and, well, nobody in Georgia showed up to vote for a Republican. I mean, essentially Biden is replicating the Stacey Abrams post-loss plan here, which is to say she got beat by 50,000 votes and she has run around the country ever since claiming she didn't actually lose and that the rules were set as such to prevent all of her supporters from being able to get out and vote. And that, that's essentially what they're, they're, pre, they're, they're pre-setting this up, which is Democrats can't lose if the rules are calibrated as such to ensure that all of our people get a chance to vote. The reality is it's never been easier or more in vogue to vote in this country, and that's true in every state. And he got a question at the end of the press conference, or should have gotten a question at the end of the press conference, I should say, about why it is that the states that he comes from and other Democrats come from have more suppressive, or in his in his lingo, Jim Crowish election laws than the states that they're actually complaining about now, like Georgia and Texas. Yeah, it's he ends this basically saying, I know I'm defeated on, on voting rights, so the only thing that's going to make make the election valid is if Republicans agree, start agreeing with me and start voting for me. That's He knows it's not happening, so it's got to be invalid. So we talked before about the West Wing, Scott, and people behind the scenes cleaning up as the speech is going on, as the news conference is going on. In fact, one reporter tried to throw Joe Biden a lifeline here. And do you wish to revise and extend your remarks? A moment ago, you were asked whether or not you believed that we would have free and fair elections in 2022 if some of these state legislatures reformed their voting protocols. You said that it depends. Uh, do you Do you think that they would in any way be illegitimate oh yeah i think it easily can be, be illegitimate imagine <laughs> easily imagine if in fact oh. trump has succeeded in convincing pence to not count the votes uh, imagine uh, if 
in, in regards to 2022, sir, the midterm oh, 2022, I mean, uh, imagine if those uh, attempts to say that uh, the count was not legit. You have to recount it, and we're not going to count. We're going to discard the following votes. I mean, sure, it, 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 I'm not saying it's going to be legit. It's the increase in the prospect of being illegitimate is a direct proportion to us not being able to get these these reforms passed. This is a complete and utter disaster. This entire ordeal tonight, the president never once said, I have great faith in our democracy. Not once. And if Donald Trump had said these very words tonight, mm -hmm. they'd be jumping out of the window everywhere in every news organization in America. They'd be jumping out of the window right now that our democracy is on fire. Well, I saw a Democracy in Peril concert, or a concert, <laughs> a, a special last night on CNN, Democracy in Peril, is what it says on there. I'm like, wait a second. Maybe it, that was maybe one night too early. I mean, he sets the tone for their party. My assumption is this is now going to become the basic talking point of every elected Democrat in the country. I mean, Joe Biden sets the agenda for his party. So now this was one day. Now you're going to have senators, congressmen, governors, state reps, state senators, all out now the cascade of people out saying the exact same thing. So this isn't a one-day deal. This will now become a mantra. This election cannot be legitimate. Unless. Unless you do this or unless we win. And I, <laughs> I mean, given what we've just gone through as a country for the last year and the screaming and the weeping and the gnashing of teeth, it's, 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 it's almost unthinkably outrageous. Next up. What about the midterm election? Thank you so much, Mr. President. This afternoon, the Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell said that the midterm elections are going to be a report card on your progress on inflation, border security, and standing up to Russia. Now, first of all, I'm going to pause that question for a second. What is the midterm election usually about? <laughs> that, that question could have been, opposition party says, we're coming yeah. for you to talk about what you... You've done and, and by the way, it's not a midterm election with divided government. Democrats are in full control of the executive and legislative branches. And so, yeah, I mean, traditionally, referendum. Other way to say Americans vote on how their life has been impacted. Great. Do you think that that's a fair way to look at it? And if so, how do you think that report card looks right now? I think report cards could look pretty good if that's where we're at. But look, the idea that uh, Mitch has been very clear... <laughs> He'd do anything to prevent Biden from being a success. I, I, and I, I get out with Mitch. I actually like Mitch McConnell. We like one another. But he has one straightforward objective. Make sure that there's nothing I do that makes me look good in the, in the mind, in his mind, with the public at large. And that's okay. I'm a big boy. I've been here before. But the fact is that I think that the uh, I'm happy to debate and have a referendum on how I handle the economy, whether or not I've made progress on. When, look, again, how can I, I'm taking too long answering your questions. I apologize. I think that this, the fundamental question is, what's Mitch for? What's he for on immigration? What's he for? What's he proposing to pay anything better? What's he for? So this is the bites, Scott and Kevin and Kaylee, that 
Democrats are really seizing on tonight, saying this is finally Joe Biden taking it to Darth Vader, to, to Mitch McConnell, because they're saying that he is not standing up for any agenda. He's only this, basically it's rope-a-dope. He's letting the Democrats beat themselves up, and he's going to just be elected, be our Republicans win the, uh, the, the majority this fall uh, as the opposition. Well, first of all, midterms are always a referendum. Second of all, it's just not true that McConnell has been purely oppositional. If that were true, we wouldn't have an infrastructure bill, period. Mm -hmm. If that were true... Uh, he would not have stood there with Joe Biden and spent all that money building roads. He just would not have done it. But what his agenda is, is actually pretty clear. On immigration, he's against chaos at the border. On taxes, he's not for raising them. On spending us into higher and higher inflation, he's against it. On Russia, which Biden raised in the press conference, he's not for letting Putin run wild all over Europe. I mean, McConnell's agenda is, I mean, he's not hiding the ball here. His agenda is, I thought we should have done infrastructure, so we did it. I don't think the rest of your agenda is good for the country, so I'm against it. <laughs> I mean, that it's not that complicated. And that McConnell agenda is broadly popular across the country, especially in flyover country. All the things you just mentioned, way more on people's mind than voting rights or Russia. That is what people are talking about. I mean, on, I mean, he brought, you know, I thought it was interesting. What is Mitch for on immigration? Why did he go to that topic when immigration is arguably one of the biggest disasters of Biden? The border is in chaos. People are streaming across. Drugs are flooding into virtually every state, killing people. And he's wondering what Mitch McConnell is for. What are you for on immigration? Because right now it appears to me you're for open borders. Uh, he's for banning whips at the border and no <laughs> non -existent horses either. Whips, non -existent no, no whips, whips, no horses. I mean, why bring that up? Why I don't I don't get it. I don't I, I didn't understand that answer. And and if Democrats are seizing on that as their high point today, God help them. Well, face it. I mean, you talk about the base, and the base of every any party wants someone to take the fight and be critical of the of the standard bearer of the other party. And right now, that's Mitch McConnell. No, no one's going to walk into the polls, by the way, in their midterm and say, well, I was going to, you know, I, I, I was thinking about how to vote. And then I remembered, what is Mitch McConnell for? What? No, they're going to be thinking about what has Joe Biden done and what did he and the Democrats do since they're in full, period. That's it. That McConnell's right. This is going to be a referendum on his job performance. And the fact that Biden said, well, it's going to look pretty good. I mean, he can't possibly believe that. And a little humility there might have gone... A long way. Yeah. I mean, back to the very beginning of what what Biden said he was going to do. I'm going to stop coronavirus. I'm going to do all of this. So take that aside. What is McConnell and the Republicans for? Going back to what we had before Biden and the Democrats had taken over. They haven't solved coronavirus. So put that out of the picture. The economy was much better. Gas wasn't astronomical. Our groceries weren't breaking the bank every month. That's what they're for. It's pretty easy. Mitch McConnell was a leader in giving us Operation Warp Speed and the Paycheck Protection Program, two of the most popular and successful programs of the coronavirus response. Uh, he's for he, he was the one getting us out of this virus. I mean, I, I know this wouldn't satisfy the base. I know there's a whole kind of you know matrix that you have to work with when you're the leader of a, any party. But if I were Joe Biden 
If I were the Democrats and I passed a $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill that had bipartisan support after campaigning on being able to bring the country together, yes. I would put everything else aside. Why is yes. that not what I'm talking st- about? Right. right. I mean, but why? But you know, but you know why? You just asked the relevant question. Here's why. If you listen carefully to the progressives in his party, they don't care about the infrastructure well, It was a bill. sellout because McConnell succeeded they don't in being really able to care. separate the two bills. And at the end of the day, they could give a rip about building roads, bridges, and highways. They don't care. And in fact, I think they regret his doing it. He is beholden to these far-left radical progressives in very, very strange ways. On messaging, he can't even tout his best thing because he knows if he does, they'll be pissed. Instead, he's going to his worst thing, like you said, immigration. The thing that <laughs> yeah, the far-left right. liberals just want open borders. Or he spends, all of, his, he wants to or he spends all of his legislative capital on a dead-end voting rights thing, all to please these unpleasable members of his base. It's, it's really a fascinating study. And then he called on a reporter from Newsmax. I'd like to, um, I'd like to raise a delicate subject, uh, but with utmost respect for your life accomplishments and the high office you hold. <laughs> a poll released this morning by Politico Morning Consult found 49% of registered voters disagreeing with the statement Joe Biden is mentally fit. Not even a majority of Democrats who responded uh, strongly affirmed that statement. Well, let you all make the judgment whether they're correct. Well, so the question I have for you, sir, if you'd let me finish, is why do you suppose such large segments of the American electorate have come to harbor such profound concerns about your cognitive fitness? Thank you. I have no idea. Setting aside the fact that this was asked by the guy from Newsmax and setting aside, you know, Joe Biden's befuddlement at it, you you might recall during the Trump years, it was a weekly conversation. Daily. Daily. And not by the the fringe outlets of the world, but by the mainstream outlets of this, there was a daily conversation about Trump's fitness for office, invoking the 25th Amendment, can this man be trusted with the nuclear codes, et cetera, et cetera. This is a legitimate question, and not because, you know, Republicans love to run around saying, you know, he's got dementia. The poll is the poll, and it wasn't conducted by a fringe outlet. It was conducted by a Politico morning consult. Legit question. I know Democrats will laugh it off because it was a Newsmax question, but given what they did to Trump and given where the American people are on this right now, completely legitimate. I haven't for a press conference. I haven't watched much of the of the the cable talkers. You know, obviously during the Trump presidency. To your point, Scott, they actually had legitimate, well, seemingly legitimate uh, psychiatrists, mental health experts, people who are psychoanalyzing him. Yes, from afar. I mean, from afar, yes. yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like, well, here's what it's, it's. It's clear to me. You can see, and they even like they even they even talked about like his, his hands, his hands, yeah, yep. and how he stood and how he walked down the ramp or whatever the case. We is. did a week. We did a week <laughs> drinking with two hands. Yes, <laughs> drinking. We but we did a week on the ramp walk. The ramp walk. Yeah. When it was wet, it was at the one of the service yeah, academies, right. yeah. and it was wet, and he sort of gingerly. We did a week going on downhill. Yes, on on whether he was going to be like physically capable of executing the duties. And now of the Biden office. just stops talking in the middle of a sentence. He like completely loses the ability to talk. And by all and indications, expects to run again. 
expects to continue trying to be the leader. Let's With follow Joe Biden's train of thought when asked about his current popularity rate ratings. You know, every every president, not necessarily in the first 12 months, but every president in the first couple of years, most every president, excuse me, of the last presidents, at least four of them, mm-hmm. have had polling numbers that are 44% favorable. So it's this idea that, but you all, not you all, but no. now it is, well, Biden's it. One poll showed him at 33%. The average is 44, 45%. One poll him at 49%. I mean, the idea that... Um, the American public are trying to sift their way through what's real and what's, and what's fake. You are not helping, sir. And I don't think as... Uh, I've never seen a time when the political coverage, the, the choice. Throw in the towel. <laughs> Throw in the towel. I mean, honestly, uh, you know, a couple things. A, he totally lost his train of thought. But B, you counsel candidates and politicians, but you're not a pundit. You're not a pundit. You're not a pundit, and you have to stop. And he, it, it's interesting to me that Biden, having achieved the highest office of, of in the world of, in politics, can't stop being a pundit. Just be the president. You're not a pundit. Be the president. So we're, we're again, recording this uh, Flyover Country podcast with Scott Jennings. Uh, and friends. Mid- and friends. <laughs> Kevin Grout, Kaylee Price, Joe Arnold here. Uh, in the midst of the Senate filibuster rules change vote and debate and so kevin what's the blow by blow so people know what our presence of what our what our state of mind is here what's happening now with with leader mcconnell on the floor oh well of course i'm distracted uh leader mcconnell just got up to give a speech and he is absolutely wrecking the democrats uh they're trying to get rid of the filibuster and the 60 vote threshold to advance legislation in the senate and he is going through this litany of bills Democrats have filibustered, and this isn't 10 years ago. This isn't five years ago. This is last week. Democrats filibustered a bill to stop Putin and Russia from building a pipeline in Europe. I mean, it's, it's really Joe Biden's only recent legislative achievement. His administration lobbied the Senate to successfully filibuster sanctions against Vladimir Putin, period. Now think about that for a minute. The filibuster that he says is racist was used to aid Vladimir Putin. I, I mean, I, I mean, it sounds crazy. It doesn't even sound like that could be real. That is precisely what happened. Speaking of uh, Putin, Russia, and Biden, a brief soundbite from this afternoon, Wednesday afternoon, that is still being cleaned up as we speak. So I think what you're going to see is that Russia will be held accountable. If it invades, and it depends on what it does. It's one thing if it's a minor incursion and then we end up having a fight about what to do and not do, et cetera. I mean, uh, this is the most immediate issue with this press conference because it has immediate real-world implications. I mean, a secretary of state's going to the Ukraine. Uh, I mean, it's interesting. When Joe Biden is in office, Russia tends to run wild. They tend to run wild in the Ukraine. <laughs> and and I can easily see why Vladimir Putin would pick now to invade because he did before when, when Biden was in. You know, a lot of people don't remember it this way, but I do. 
Not only did they run wild in their own backyard, but if you believe that Russia meddled or tried to meddle in the 2016 election, they did so on Joe Biden and Barack Obama's watch. Donald Trump wasn't the president in 2016. Obama and Biden were. And if you think, and I think the evidence is pretty clear, they did meddle in the election, or at least tried to. Uh, I mean, there's a long pattern of Russia essentially running roughshod over Joe Biden. Today, he goes to the press conference and essentially invites them to continue doing so. I just think if you're an enemy of America and you're watching this today, you're seeing a president who can't finish a thought, you're hearing him say, well, if they invade, well, only if it's an invasion that I deem today is bad enough. What is a minor like, incursion? <laughs> yes. I mean, I seriously, it could I, be I so many different things. So is if you're somebody an like enemy of over America, the border by accident? I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. If, if you're an enemy of America, you're seeing all this. I thought this back on January 6, 2021, how easy it was to get into our capital. And then things have just continued to happen. And Biden has continued to degrade the security of our democracy and our government and how powerful we are. You're sitting here really glad about this tonight. That was a moment when we needed real presidential leadership, someone to draw a line in the sand and say, Vladimir Putin, you better not do it. I'm standing here and I'm watching you. I'm not taking my eye off of you. And instead he got this mealy mouth. Well, we'll see what happens. And yeah, I mean, if you're the Canadians, you could have Washington State. Our friend Eric Erickson, who was on the pod a couple of weeks ago, tweeted tonight, and it's so true. You can question the legitimacy of our elections and you can be Vladimir Putin's lapdog as long as you're a Democrat. That is how I think that is the most proper and succinct framing of this entire press conference. And, and this, after all the screaming we did about P tapes and what do they have on Trump and business dealings and corruption and influence and real estate, you have an actual president here giving away parts of Ukraine, all of Ukraine, stopping sanctions, giving away a pot. You have, a, you have actual presidential decisions aiding Putin. I mean, is it not fair and legitimate to ask, what do they have on Joe Biden? If that is the logical construct that was drawn during the Trump years, why, is not, why aren't those the questions we're asking now? Well, we didn't play a soundbite, and I don't have this one queued up from his response about not having any apology for what happened in Afghanistan. But I think this is a, there's a through line here, which has to do with basically his foreign policy and perhaps a bill of goods that was sold to the American people as far as him being a moderate, a centrist, or anything else in the presidential election. Face it, as you said many times, Scott, he won because he was not Donald Trump. Yeah. And that and, and a return to normalcy in some regard. But I think what in the in the process, and I might be you know, you know late to the game here, was the fact that Joe Biden has never been a moderate. Joe Biden is basically he's picking up the you know the, the progressive wing of the party when it comes to foreign policy too, and he's never had good instincts mm -hmm. on foreign policy right. specifically. I mean, remember, yeah, the real foreign policy experts in this country were terrified about the idea that he might become president. His instincts on politics and policy are almost always wrong. I mean, his instincts about giving the speech in Atlanta, totally wrong. His instincts about Russia have been completely wrong. His 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 reaction to um, the guy, the, the border agents you mentioned earlier, Kevin, his instinct, his reaction to that turned out to be completely false and erroneous. His instincts are horrific, but on foreign policy, 
there are real implications. I mean, his instincts on how to handle Afghanistan, terrible. He just, his instincts and judgment are very, very bad, but it's not new. They, they have been for a long time. We'll hear from Joe Biden one last time talking about Omicron in the schools. Education, teachers are in, result in, so, in revolt in so many places. Parents are at odds over closing schools and remote learning. You say we're not going to go back to closing schools. You said that just moments ago, uh, yet they're closing in some areas. What do you say to those teachers and principals and parents about school closings? And what can your administration do to help make up for learning loss for students? First of all, I put in perspective the question you asked. Very few schools are closing. Over 95% are still open. So you all phrase the questions when people, I don't think it's deliberate on your part, but you phrase the question when anybody watches us on television. My God, there must be all those schools must be closing. What are we going to do? 95% are still open. Number one. When Joe Biden whispers... I don't well, think people are looking at television to hear 95%. They're, they're living in the towns and communities and dealing with either their own children at home because schools are closed or their friends or family. Like, right. and what does we're it mean not to be, watching by the, way, the president on TV to find out if schools are closed. What does it mean to be open? Because, you know, yeah. every day a lot of parents are waking up wondering, you know, maybe school was open yesterday, but is it going to be open tomorrow? And by the way, we're, we record this podcast squarely in middle America, Louisville, Kentucky where kids cannot go to school. At the public schools in Jefferson County, well, some of the worst in the state are not open. Now, here's the thing. Joe Biden said 95%. He would not have included the Jefferson County Public Schools in that number because they're teaching NTI. They are in school. But they're because, not open. I understand. They're, they're in class, but they're not in the classroom. Well, if you think a parent would count it that way, but, is, that, but that's the political misjudgment right. here. But he, didn't, but he didn't call you Bull Connor. <laughs> I mean, my point being is, it's, it's, it's don't, but the, but the whole point of all this is how you define it. I don't even know. Who, he, but by the way, boy, I mean, wasn't he the bailiff on Night Court? I don't even know. <laughs> I'm not even sure. <laughs> he went on to say that although he's done such a great job getting kids back in school, he wishes that when they had passed the law, it had given his administration more power to tell states how to use their money. So the only flaw that Joe Biden sees is that he can't tell states enough what to do with their money. Well, and one of the reasons why I want to play that last bite for you guys is the whole concept. Of course, we're still you know far away. I mean, who's to say what all things are going to happen, speaking of Russia, between now and the midterms? But you have, at some point, you have to believe as a constituent, as a voter, as, a, as an American, you know, who understands me? And this last soundbite, as far as his response of, of, of being, of, of fighting the, uh, the concept of schools being closed. And, what the, and, her, and be clear, the, the question was not just about what's going on right now, but learning loss. You've seen this past week, by the way, a lot of revisionist history going on uh, of, of folks who in the past said schools absolutely have to be closed down. And suddenly they say, well, now there's data which shows that this was horrible for children. But it took them a long time to get here. Oh, it, it, the, the, now that this is, I mean, this is destroying Joe Biden and the Democrats politically. So now you're seeing, you know, the worm turn on this, so to speak. Uh, it's too late. I mean, everybody knows who wanted the schools closed and everybody knows who wanted them open and no amount, no amount of muddying the waters now is going to change. Yeah, I, but this is a true question for all of you politicos and I've never worked on a campaign before, so it's truly, we're in January. The midterms aren't until November. 
It's too late, man. Is, is it really still too late? It's too late. They're going to spend, obviously, and he even made it clear during this news conference that his job now basically is to go out and elect people who agree with him. And, of course, that's always the job of the president, to be the fundraiser and, and to be the rallier and that sort of thing. But I'm saying is, to me, 10 months, There's I, a big difference. we have a short attention span in this country. There's a big difference between a one- or two-day event that's top of mind to people versus the coronavirus and shutting down schools on and off that has gone on for two years now. Like and it's it's too it, late to and go this back. This has been so this. disruptive to people's it, lives. They will never not, forget it. They will never short, forget it. This is not a short term. And they, they just keep doubling down. You know, it seems like almost every day you open the New York Times and there's another op-ed saying Randy Whitegarden, one of the heads of the biggest teachers unions, is the one championing getting kids back in school. They just don't know how to tell the truth. All you need to know about the politics of this, when the mayor of Chicago Lori Lightfoot, one of the most liberal mayors public in the, in the country, is screaming at the teachers' unions publicly to open it. That's all you need to know about the politics of this. The polling is in. They all understand, and but the, they waited too long. This should have happened six months ago, eight months ago, a year ago. We didn't just get the data in the last 10 days. We've known for a year and a half these schools should be open. We've all known it. Parents have known it. Everybody has known it. The teachers' unions run the Democratic Party, and now they've run it into the ground, it's too late. You cannot put the toothpaste back in the tube. You can find the Flyover Country podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and check out our interviews on YouTube. Leave us a voicemail, speakpipe.com slash theflyoverpod. That's speakpipe.com slash theflyoverpod. So final calculus from everybody here, and and back to my question again as a non-campaigner, former journalist in this conversation. And that is, okay, it's clear that Joe Biden is speaking to the base here and not trying to rally people in the middle, all right, or, or Republicans for that matter, or Manchin and Cinema for that matter, right? But in that regard, because his, his going back to the, one of the first sound bites we played was like, the test will be who shows up on election day in the fall and whether people will be basically pissed off enough to stand in line for a longer time than they should have to, only not for the dastardly Republicans who stopped the Georgia t- uh, the election reforms. My question is, is that enough to rally the base to get a record turnout to, uh, to uh, counteract the problems you just mentioned? I mean, my view is turnout's going to be high. It's been high in the last two elections. A lot of folks are going to vote. A hell of a lot of Republicans are going to show up and send a message. I think a lot of Democrats are going to vote, too. But I will tell you, there are going to be a lot of people who went to the polls in the presidential election and voted for Joe Biden, but they also voted for him on the pretense that he wouldn't do anything too drastic or too stupid. They voted for him based on moderation, deal-making. Everybody's going to get along, less anxiety. They are getting the opposite of that, and now they're going to try to swing the pendulum back. And remember, in the 2020 election, a lot of people voted for him and then turned around and voted Republican down the ballot. And so Biden's, you know, there's no presidential election on this ballot. And so people are quite comfortable voting Republican down the ballot, and probably even more so now that they see the reality of Biden and not the portrayal of Biden as it was in the campaign. Just continuing what the Democrats are actually focused on, election reforms, uh, racism, things like that, versus what people in flyover country and what your typical voter actually cares about. Are they able to go to the supermarket and actually find things on the shelves? If they find what they want, can they afford it? How much does it take a gas cost? Can they send their kids to school? 
those are that that's going to drive people to the ballot box, and I think it's going to have them checking the R box. And, and and other fundamental things like you know when I go to the store, are there things on the shelves? You know, when I go to my neighborhood restaurant, is there a sign on the door that says "Can't open today, no staff"? You know, by the sense of day, the the, the supermarket uh, anecdotes are overblown. It's not, but okay, I know he doesn't go to the store. I get it. You people bring it to you. I I get it, brother. Go to the store. It's true. But but these little things about life, you don't think of those things as being r- like realistic in America. You think about those things as being third world issues, like they can't get things, or you know things can't be opened and things don't work. Like that's now us. It's this leaking of American prestige. You know we're supposed to be the light of the world. Now we look like a flickering dim bulb, and we're led by one. And that is like people don't like the feeling of not leading the world. And when you can't even get your local coffee shop open for more than half a day, you don't feel very good about the state of your country. And I think enthusiasm around presidential elections, of course, more people vote in presidential elections and they're excited and and whatnot, but you don't always think about how it's going to affect your daily life. You think about big picture with the presidential elections and all these ways. And what Joe Biden has led to is a major impact on every American's daily life, I think. I mean, what they were just talking about at the grocery store, at the gas pump, all of these different things, there has been a major impact on daily life. And so, yeah, I think people are going to turn out to the polls and say, I don't like the impact this has had. That's Kaylee Price, Kevin Grout, Scott Jennings. This has been a special emergency landing edition of Flyover Country with Scott Jennings and friends. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab, coming to you from the heart of Middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Flyover Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Five-star reviews will help us keep making the content that you love. To find my latest television hits, columns, and other commentary, go to scottjenningsky.com. And you can also find me at Scott Jennings KY on Twitter and Facebook. Thanks for listening and talk to you soon. Ladies and gentlemen, make sure your seat backs and folding trays are in their full upright position. Cabin crew, please take your seats for landing and thank you for choosing Flyover Country with Scott Jennings.